Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is the Distraction Pieces Podcast, episode 234. Thank you all for tuning in, guys. Um, I'm joined this week by Dr. Kate Devlin, and by God, it's a good conversation. I do a little preview thing on Patreon. Thank you to all the patrons, patreon.com slash Pip. Um, I should mention just, just right now that um, I hear about patron stuff on podcasts and online all the time. And I ignore 99% of them. So I understand if you're ignoring this, but it is only like a quid a month or 80p a month or whatever it works out as. So if you did want to go over there, it's a good way to just support the podcast. Originally, that's all it was going to be, but it's now also become um, a preview place. So every time I go and record one, I post a little preview selfie on this so they know who's to come. And when I did that, that's why I got to this. I posted the Dr. Kate Devlin one the day before the Angela uh, Jufria podcast went up. And I've been saying for ages, Angela, Angel. I've been saying for ages that the Angel Jufria episode was one of the best I've ever done, you know, up there against any podcast I've ever done. And then I posted this on the Tuesday before that went out, kind of annoyed that, and said, I've just recorded another that's, that's one of the best I've ever done. And I actually had a week at that point. I had last week's guest, uh, Desiree Akavan, and 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 this and this week's guest. Um and yeah, they were some of the best. Some of the best I've ever done. Also Josh Weller I recorded that week, so it's a hell of a run. Thank you all for all the love for last week's episode with Desiree Akavan. You're right, it is one of the best. She is amazing. The bisexual is an amazing s- series. But yeah, anyway, I posted that on there and was kind of annoyed and since then they've been eagerly awaiting this episode so it's going to live up to your expectations I, I i promise you that i should mention as ever that we're brought to you by speech development record.com head over there we've got some amazing merch i do genuinely appreciate all of you who who support in that way it really helps it really helps i won't ramble on too much i've got some some new merch i'm working on uh we'll see how that turns out but yeah, anyway, all that aside, it's been a hell of a week. So as you hear this on Wednesday, last week I recorded six podcasts and had two screenings, some amazing guests. I won't tell you who they are because that's for the secret Patreon gang, but two of them in particular had people, I mean, legit two living legends. Uh, one of them is coming out as a Halloween special, two-parter, and one of them is going to be a little bit after that, but... um. Yeah, it was a pretty strong week of podcasts. So, um, yeah, feel free to pop over there and have a look. But it's because of that that every now and then I'm going to do some bonus podcasts because I've just got so many recorded at the moment. So this week I've got a bonus podcast on Friday. Uh, Gizzy Erskine, who's been meaning to come on for ages. Another author. So I should mention Dr. Kate Devlin. I've not told you who Dr. Kate Devlin is. Dr. Kate Devlin is obviously a doctor. Um, and she's got a new book out this week called Turned On, Science, Sex and Robots. So now you know why this is one of the best podcasts I've done. Because <laughs> we talk about s- science, sex and robots. What more is there to to enjoy? You know, so that's, that's fantastic. And, and Gizzy Erskine is an amazing chef. And she also has a book out um, this week called Slow Food Worth Taking Time Over. So that's out on Friday. But yeah, but now, in fact, I'm going to stop rambling. I've said thank you all for all your love and for tuning in. 
and all the previous episodes. Um, if you enjoy enjoy this one, and you're down for some academia, I recommend you go all the way all the way back into the archives and check out Doctor Susie Gage because that spawned its own podcast called Say Why to Drugs, in which we talk. We pick a different drug each episode, and Susie br- br- breaks down all the all the scientific side of it. I give any experiences I have from taking the drugs, um, and we just give an unbiased. Here's the risks. Here's here's the appeal, and so on and so forth. Um, and the good news is that, along with Distraction Pieces podcast, is now on Spotify. And I know a lot of you have been been wanting to, to listen on Spotify for a while, so I'm hoping. I've rambled on in the past about the issues that we had with getting the podcast on Spotify. It was, it was basically about the sponsors and the people at Acast who've made this podcast for free for four years. It was basically about making sure they get paid, which the way it was before, they wouldn't. Now we've come to an agreement, and they do. So it's all good. I'm excited to be there now. I'm delighted to be on board. Um, and I would ask that you kind of you spread the word, because Spotify is somewhere that's good for people who are normally like, oh, I don't really listen to podcasts. So send people over. And also, if you're on Spotify, I don't really understand Spotify. I don't I don't, I use it. I'm not on it myself. But that's cool. I understand that you guys are. So if you do, can you do playlists of podcasts? Because if you can, I'd be really interested to see the different playlists. Obviously, we had a World Mental Health Day recently, and I posted... A few of my favourite previous episodes that have have gone into mental health. So it'd be great to see a mental health playlist up there, the Distraction Pieces podcast, rappers Distraction Pieces podcast playlist, uh, Hollywood stars Distraction Pieces podcast playlist. You know, so if that can happen and you're up for doing any of that, do it and 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 share them with me almost the weirder the better because it's weird and distinctive then if you can do that fire them at me on on twitter or whatever and i'll share any that i think are are great but anyway i said i'd be brief and now i've rambled on for ages this is episode 234 of the distraction pieces podcast with dr kate devlin Get going. I'm joined today in 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 this kind of '80s futuristic basement of the Queen of Hoxton, um, which seems like an appropriate s- a setting in its futuristicness and slight seediness. Um, I'm joined by Dr. Kate Devlin. How are you? Hello, I'm good, thank you. Um, I'm I'm really glad that we can can make this happen. I was I get a little concerned about podcasts. I like this because when it's um, an author of a book that I've been reading and enjoying, I make overexcited notes <laughs> that then when I go back to make very little sense or I worry I'm going to be rambling a lot. But your book turned on science, sex and robots. It's it's kind of a history of robotics and sex technology, yeah. um, as well as a look into the future of what is realistically to come. And f- 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 for me... A massive eye opener on the present because there was a lot that's already in, in circulation that there I was very is. unaware of. Yeah, there is. It's been interesting because even in the time it took to write the book, 
um, there's been so many advances already. So yeah. we've gone from this is in our future to this is happening soon to, oh, look, they've just released the first commercially available sex robot in May 2018. So that all happened over the past, you know, year or two. Is that slightly annoying? As, you know, um, as, it's hard as, to keep as, up as you with. Have deadlines and stuff that you've been working to. And then suddenly, yeah. all right, now I'm... <laughs> yeah, it's a bit hard to keep up with. I had to, you know, try and pack a lot into the epilogue afterwards. Yeah. The thing that I love is, is it's not as... As, as a book, it's not as, as salacious as it maybe sounds, but it does have a lot of open discussion of potentially taboo subjects. But I love that, that one minute I'll be learning about a new sex toy company in Japan that ships all around the world, and the next minute I'll have kind of forgotten the salaciousness of that because I'll be reading a detailed history of, 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 of different areas and developments of, of robotics. So I guess what I want to kind of start by asking is, how did you, number one, what drew you to, to this subject? And number two, how did you kind of settle on a tone for it? Because it, 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 as you mentioned quite early in the book, headlines of sex robots or whatever get a lot of clicks, a lot they of excitement. Do, yeah. So it's easy to go down that route. But I love that you kind of, you provide all the information you could want on that, but you also kind of go, no, but here this is, this is a scientific and historic book kind of thing. That's right. I wanted to put forward the truth behind the headlines, really, because there's so much hype and a bit of moral panic around yeah. all the coverage in the press. And it came out of work. Uh, there was, uh, sitting actually in the pub uh, after a conference, there were a group of us together saying, you know, where could technology go and how does the way we think shape how we want artificial intelligence to look? And there's been lots of discussion in recent years about what would happen if we could get machines that feel things. And one of the examples I gave in the book was pain. So we feel pain and it's a warning system to us because it tells us there's something going wrong and we know to avoid that situation. And that's very useful if we could tell a robot to do that because it might avoid damage then. So if we let a robot feel pain with its AI, then it would know to avoid a situation where it would break. And the thing about pain is it's, it's often considered as one of the components of consciousness. And we don't yet have machine consciousness. We might never have machine consciousness. But if we were trying to, should we try and engineer that? Should we try and work towards that as a goal? Yeah. And if pain, then why not things like care or compassion or intimacy? So I think it's the sex aspect. It, I would say it's maybe broader and more about looking in general at intimacy. But sex is a big component of being human. And even though not everyone wants to have sex... You know, it's still a fundamental driver of yeah, our behaviour. Completely, it's it's, it, it's a huge part of everyone's lives and and developments. Really, the awareness of sexuality, the yeah. the motivation of sexuality. Quite bluntly, I probably would never have been in clubs in the first place if it wasn't. I was like, I went to an all boys school. I was like, I need. Where can I go and meet girls? Yeah. I've heard about girls. I've heard girls are great. Yeah. So that is the kind of thing that then opened me up to music and all sorts of other stuff that, that, that changed my life. But that primary driver was that sexual attraction or, 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 or urge there, I guess. Yeah, and it's, it's a really social part of our behaviour as humans. And it's how we all got here as well, whether yeah. we like it or not, whether we want to think about that or not. Yeah, it might not be something that we're comfortable thinking on, but it's, yeah, it's a key part of life. I've been excited about this podcast and I, I i there is a lot that i'm going to talk about that is on the sex toys stuff but the part of the reason for that is on this podcast we've talked a lot over the years about death about me- mental health and they're two of the taboos that 
go undiscussed a lot. Yeah. But sex isn't particularly an area we've got into a lot. And it's another one that's a strange taboo in our society. And I had one episode years ago with Carla a Valentine, and it was about the relationship throughout history of sex and death yeah. as two taboos, as two kind of s- subjects that we're scared to approach. So, yeah, it's a fascinating one that it is something that is so, is so pushed away, I guess. Yeah, I think it really is. And in looking at the, the people who... Um, the, the development of it socially and how, how it changed over time and how people talk about it and discuss it and hide it, um, I think we've seen such an amazing change in the past sort of 20 years or so, maybe more, really around the internet because that gave yeah. people a chance to meet others who were like-minded, form communities in a safe, yeah. safe way. And I think that's just been one of the most exciting things about the internet. And I, I, I would also argue it's, it's a hugely important thing because I think the taboos around talking about death are dangerous because they will add to our inability to cope with grief add to the uh, possibility of being exploited in different business situations when someone dies. But the issue with taboos around sex directly affects people that are living in, people who are sex workers, that are in sex industries and things like that, who need protection and rights and and stuff like that. But because it's an uncomfortable subject, often get ignored or pushed aside by, by good people, by good you know, caring people. It's like, oh, I don't want to... That's a subject I'm not comfortable with. People who fight for the rights of everyone else in society will often shy away from those that are anywhere in the sex industry, from creation of of online content to, to, you know, real-life sex work to all sorts of things. And that's terrible, because that's really... They're situations that, as said, are part of our, our genetic makeup. There is a relation to sexuality in 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 all of us, or in many, in most of us. But there are also areas that need the most protection and the most, you know, awareness around them, I guess. Absolutely. And I dealt with a bit of that, I think, in the book where I was talking about sex work. And, you know, it's it's very controversial. It's even controversial within feminism, for example. People who are pro, you know, sex work supporters, the pro-sex work, and those who think that it should really be you know, as abolished as much as possible. No matter people's views, the people who work in sex work need the same protection as everyone else in employment, 100%. and we can't avoid that. Hundred percent. It's 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 an interesting one. It's similar. I had a guy on called Neil Woods, who was the, the first guy to go undercover in the UK in in the war on drugs, and is now completely against the war on drugs. And it's a, a similar thing. His argument on drugs is that if you think they're dangerous, then you should want drugs legalised, because yeah. the danger in drugs is what goes into them when they're un, un, unmonitored, un, unregulated, and it's similar in, in sex work. The negative side of sex work, which is arguably the most important side, is sex trafficking and the dangers and people forced into sex work. If prostitution or sex work was legalised and more, and more protected and regulated it would remove a lot of that and you would be left with people who are choosing to make a living in a certain way. And that's, and that's a choice as, as a human. So Yeah, I think there's, yeah there's such a, a big distinction and I think no one's going to argue that, that trafficking is a good thing. There's a clear no. distinction between trafficking of any sort and, and sex work. Yeah. Um, and one is something that can be entered freely, the, the sex work. and the, Not always. Sometimes people are in that because they feel they have no other choice and they would rather not. Yeah. But then that's a very different thing from trafficking where the whole aim is to make money for someone. They're... Yeah. they're, they're, they're basically trying to buy and sell humans yeah um, and yeah but i think yeah you're right i mean we need 
we need to look at this and see what the best ways are of making sure that people are as safe as possible when yeah. they when they are doing work that they do voluntarily. Now, I'm going to go all over the place in this conversation, so I apologise, but I, I assure you it's from excitement to be having this conversation <laughs> rather than anything else. Um, we touched upon, it's kind of right at the bottom of, of my notes, because, it, again, I should say, I'm just over halfway through the book, so I've Great. not read everything, so it's kind of... Oh, you've missed the exciting bits. I haven't got I'm there yet. I'm still excited <laughs> to get to this, but I'm, I'm, I'm happy to, to have spoilers. I think I will, that's I will give you spoilers. in the favour of the, of the listeners. But uh, one of the bits that, that you were talking about um, about a chapter ago was, and what you touched upon j- just now, was the idea of, of consciousness. And it's one that fa- fascinates me, and you touch upon it from a... A, a philosophical point of view because it's it is an interesting one and weirdly it's something that's been addressed in science fiction in star trek right. and stuff like that where someone builds a robot i know there was a star trek thing where data is a cyborg and he built a cyborg son and they had this conflict of does that deserve life any more or less does it have consciousness and in a society where we're further and further from the old english Christianity rule, believing in a spirit. Like, I don't particularly believe in a spirit. Therefore, in many ways, I kind of think that consciousness is a far more advanced computer than we can yeah. imagine at this point. It's just it's that much far, further ahead that it seems Beyond like this consciousness. Yeah. But it's an interesting one. Cause it is. It is realistic to think that computers, the speed that they're improving, can get to that point. And therefore, as you touched on in the book, if they don't know they're not conscious, then, yeah. then what's then what's the difference and where does the moral... Exactly. It's a really, really difficult thing because there's no agreement in philosophy about this and and we don't know, we just don't know. We don't know where consciousness comes from. We all know what it's like to be conscious, we think. Um, We all experience something that we can relate to as consciousness. But we can't test for it and, you know, I I could just be... You could could be giving me all the outward signs of consciousness but not really be thinking for yourself. It's really impossible. And when you start thinking... And I'm not a philosopher, um, as I make really clear. So I'm trying to get used to a lot of these arguments as well. It's Um, it's, mind-blowing. Absolutely, yeah. My brother's a philosopher (laughs) and he puts this stuff to me late at night when we're watching sports. (laughs) And I'm like, I grasp about 2% of it, but the 2% I grasp blows my mind. Yeah, Yeah, it is. And it's fascinating. And we, yeah... So the thing is, if we have, even if we can't have a conscious machine, if we have one that behaves like it is and gives us all the outward signs of it, is that enough for us to form some kind of rapport with it? Yeah. Is that is that is that okay? Um, but we don't know because there's there's no test for consciousness. We can't test it in any way. And even if there was to be a conscious machine, is it even going to look like human consciousness? Yeah. Or would it have some different machine type consciousness? Yeah. It's a fascinating subject. It really is. Oh, we're getting some noise in the background. Um, but it's, it's, it's also because, again, it's that thing as well of uh, the more you, the, the argument that comes up a lot is, well, we've created a robot. So it's therefore, it's our creation. But we create humans. That's, we do. that's how sex works. Yeah. So it's, it's a similar thing. But uh, one of the things I was, I was spinning myself out about on the way here was the quite popular kind of philosophical theory of determinism where everything is determined and yeah. it's a complex path. Um, and the easiest um, analogy I've heard for it is we're probably at a point now where if we had a snooker table and a computer and a robot, it could do all the maths of all the balls, all the things, hit the ball in a certain place with yeah. calculated strength and know where everything is going to go. It could figure that out. That's a tiny, tiny version of it. But yeah. We're probably only j- just there, yet 
you expand that out into the world and you'd need a far bigger computer, which just makes me even more convinced that humans are just really advanced computers. And the that, brain is just a really advanced computer. Right, that's, and that's one way of looking at it. And, and yeah, there is that belief. People do think that. And then there are others who say, well, no, it's, it's much less deterministic than that. Yeah. And we just don't know. We just don't know. We don't know and we can't know. But it's a fascinating one to yeah, kind of... Yeah, it totally is. ...to think <laughs> on and, and, and lose yourself in. Because my argument initially was, no, I, I have freedom of choice. But the argument there is, well, if someone could look down and see every event in your life, the yeah. things that have influenced you, they would be able to predict that at this point you would feel you, you have next. the freedom of choice. Therefore, you'd do that to go against what would... Yeah. Right, the patterns that govern our lives without us even being aware of them. Yes, exactly. It's a, it's a strange one. But um, So on the human side of it, something that was interesting quite early on was a huge jump in sex toys and a jump that hasn't been made in sex robots yet is the reliance was the reliance on, on human form, yes. on, on going, right, well, we need to replace a penis. The thing yeah. that became, that made a big leap was a, women realising this isn't a replacement for a penis, this is an alternative, arguably an improvement yeah. <laughs> upon, upon the design that is there. Yet, with sex r- r- robots, we currently, or, 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 or sex dolls and whatever else, it's very much, here's the human form, we've not gone three breasts, four penises, yeah, or anything else yet. yet. So, yeah. And that's the bit that absolutely fascinated me. And actually, that's, that's my spoilers bit, because I do go into a lot of detail of that at the end yeah. of the book. What I found really, really interesting was looking at the evolution, really, of the sex toy, and how it's only since sort of the turn of the century that we start seeing vibrators taking new forms. And a lot of yeah. that was to do with that Sex in the City episode. Yes, and the and rampant the rabbit. The rampant rabbit. And... That rampant rabbit, the actual design of that, came about because Japanese obscenity laws uh, said you couldn't manufacture replica genitals. So they abstracted it out and they made it look cute and give it, you know, different colours, bright colours and, you know, weird forms. And so in a way it was a taboo that helped change the structure and the shape of the sex toy. And I find that really, really interesting because now we have these incredible toys out there, you know, things that you can bend and yeah. shape and the, take all manner, you know, beautiful things you could put on your mantelpiece yeah. that people wouldn't know. That, that, are, that are an improvement on, on, on what was originally, here's the restrictions. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's weird, I, I, I brought this up in a podcast I, I recently with a young lady called Angel, who I was, I was telling you about before, and who was one of the first, who, who's the youngest person ever to have had a robotic arm from six months old. She's now in her 20s, I believe. And she was saying that she's got her robotic arm that moves and functions like a hand, but she's also got one that's a different shape that's better for yoga and one that's better for these other things. So rather than going, how do I get as close to the human hand? It's going, well, what isn't the human hand help? Like, what situations isn't that helpful in? And there's yeah. certain sports and stuff she plays where she just has a more rigid thing because it's like, well, humans break their hands playing this sport a lot and the actual grip isn't needed in this particular situation. So, yeah, finding those ways of going, well, let's improve upon it rather than see it as I'm below the the wonderful advancement of a human hand. It's going, no, right, I can go, I can exceed it. Oh, I think that is fascinating. And yet with the sex robots, which have come out of the line of the sex doll, we are still stuck in that make it look like a pornified, reductive stereotype of a woman. Mm -hmm. I was like... But why? Why? We could do anything. We have amazing materials. And is there something intrinsic about the human form that makes us want to make a sex robot? Or is it, like you've just said before, is it the fact we've seen so much sci-fi? 
Yeah. Because we get fed this idea all the time of the fembot yeah. in sci-fi. And I think that is a really big influence. And I think it will be, I think it will be a big jump. Because again, typically, it seems to be the men that are further are behind. And that's arguably because of, historically, um, the way the world has been set up. There's less need for men to have sex toys because women were essentially, yeah. at some point, their, their toy to, to use as they wish. So Absolutely. it feels that one of the small silver linings of that is that women have d- d- developed far <laughs> further ahead and men are still going... Men in general, I don't know many men who use any sex toys, but when they do, I remember the first one I remember hearing about was on a podcast by Joe Rogan. He was sponsored by Fleshlight. Um, And that was, I was like, what is this? And it was, but again, it's it's structurally meant to replicate a vagina. Yeah, it's this little, it's meant to be a discreet, again, the taboo. It's meant to be a can that can kind of sit on the side yeah, and no one, no one knows. It yeah. kind of feels gross and creepy that it could just be sitting in your living room and <laughs> all yeah. the things you might have done to it. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, it's fascinating how those developments are, are slower on the male side. And it was interesting because I, I get sent lots of sex toys because I, I ran a hackathon where people yes. made new sex toy forms. Sex toy forms. And I get, I had, so I had this collection of these eggs... They were male sex toys from a company called Tenga. And they're basically masturbation sleeves that come packaged in a little egg. It looks like a kinder egg. Yeah. It's, uh, it's a bit weird. Um, but I gave them to five male friends and said, right, give me your feedback. Not in too much detail, but give yeah. me your feedback. Yeah. And basically, none of them were particularly impressed. Uh, one of them refused to even countenance the idea, but um, they, they said, <laughs> oh, you know, it's okay, but, you know, I have a hand. You yeah. know, what's the, why would I pay for this, you yeah. know? And so, I, yeah, I think it, there hasn't been a need as much for men to have sex toys, whereas women, you know, it took years before it was accepted that women having orgasms was because of clitoral stimulation rather yeah. than just through penetrative sex. So I think there's been definite change there. But... Yeah, it was interesting because when I set up the hackathon um, back in 2016, I thought, well, we'll get a bunch of people together and we'll just sort of saw up some vibrators and glue them back in different ways. And I have these amazing students who said, no, we're going to go big on this. We're going to get like 100 people in a room and they're going to design new sex toys from scratch. And, and they did. So they got, well, they, got, they got 50 people together over 24 hours and they built prototypes of the most amazing things. And it just wow. really opened my mind to the sort of things that we could do. I love it. And I love that, 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 that excitement around progressing and pushing the boundaries on it. Do, do you think the different speeds in development of sex toys is related to the notorious ease of men to orgasm versus the ease of women to orgasm. And my teens confirm this repeatedly. <laughs> I, um, think, I think that is definitely a, a, contri- a contributing factor. Yeah, so it yeah. is that kind of, oh, I've got a hand. Yeah. Because that's, it's a man. That's all yeah. it is. You don't need much more I think stimulation. So. And then that. nowadays we're seeing some really cool companies doing stuff. Like there's a company called, a UK, a UK company called Hot Octopus. And they've created what they term a guy braider. It's called the Pulse. And it's a device that it looks a bit like a, almost like an egg with one side missing. And it, it fits over the penis so that it was designed originally for people who had difficulty reaching orgasm or becoming right. erect. So it basically for people with, say, erectile dysfunction or spinal cord injuries. But they find that 
you know, even if you make some, if you make something accessible for one group, it often benefits everyone. Yeah. And so it's become a sex toy that anyone can use. Wow. Um, and it's it's pretty cool. And so we see lots of cool things coming out that are customizable, personalizable. And I think there's a start of it now where it's not seen as taboo for men to use sex toys. Oh, one hundred percent. I I read, I started reading your book a few a few weeks ago, and it was the first I'd really heard about. Tenga, the kind mm. of the, the male sex Yeah, the Japanese company, yeah. Sheath type thing. And then literally t- t- two days ago, a clothing company I'm a fan of called A Rip and Dip, which sounds awkward for this, but just, <laughs> just posted on their Instagram that they're releasing a Rip and Dip Tenga collaboration. That's the best Again, named collaboration it's a ever. Name for the collaboration because that seems that'll put people off. But it's got their little, their cat logo on it. And it's mm. just, it's this thing that is. And again, it looks stylish. It doesn't look uncomfortable. No, exactly. And it's not made to represent genitals either, the Tenga ones. They're, no. very, they're very abstracted as well. Yeah. And that was, again, it was interesting what you were saying about Japan leading innovation because of, of censorship laws and, and pornography in, jam, in Japan. The censorship has always been any genitals are, are blurred or whatever. But it's also the reason that, I mean, I, I saw a tweet from you, are you, are you yesterday about a reviews and someone unhappy that you didn't go into enough <laughs> detail, detail on tentacle um, yeah. sex toys. But that was something, and tentacle porn in general was something that came in Japan because of the censorship laws, right? You weren't allowed to show a penis penetrating, but it's why they kind of went, oh, let's have tentacled aliens and stuff. So it's yeah, not a okay. penis... It's a... There's actually historical evidence of it as well. It goes way back to the Japanese erotic art form, uh, Shunga, right. where there are tentacle creatures uh, wow. with women portrayed in these, in these pictures. Um, so it's weird. I, you wonder how much of it had an influence of that yeah, historically. And then is that what steered people into looking at that as some kind of futuristic or yeah. strange anime thing? Yeah. It's quite a weird one. There was a, a fascinating question posed almost a theory posed at one point in the book that was the first dildo created 25,000 years before right, the wheel. Right, yeah. Which again, is, it, then it again goes to our, how, how, how buried in us the sexual kind of yeah. element is that so we there don't, is theory and belief that potentially, potentially some of these things yeah. that have been found or implied were... Yeah, we don't know for sure. So there have been very old, sort of 28, 30,000 year old phallic representations. They look by to all intents like a stone version of a penis. And we don't know what they were used for. Now, it's very tempting to guess that they may have had some kind of purpose, sexual purpose, although we know that some of them were used as hammer stones. Um, But... Double purpose. Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) But we know there there were definitely dildos around from ancient Greek times onwards. And I would probably think that before that as well whether or not you know it goes right back we, we tend to underestimate people in the past we tend to think of them as much more much less sophisticated much yeah. less intelligent uh, much more prudish but you know if we look back at something like greek society um ancient greek society it was in many ways a lot more open about sex than we are it was still a hierarchy there was still a patriarchy but it was definitely um there were a lot of, a lot of stuff going on there that we would absolutely <laughs> kind of freak out at today yeah and it's often very quick and knee-jerk changes i know in the uk like as the as the victorian era ended for example pre-victor or in the victorian speaking of death 
and celebrating death was 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 very normal. As soon as that era changed, it was stuff like that that was gone. And it's similar with sexuality as well. There's been points in English history where arguably we were even more free and open about these things than we are now. Yet you do look back at the past and think of it as more, more uptight. dusty and uptight. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. Um, there's a historian, um, Dr. Fran Riddell, who works on Victorian sexuality. She's written a book on it. And it's a fascinating read because you know, sexuality sexual behaviour was, was celebrated, particularly with, with, within a marriage especially, mm. was celebrated and, and seen as something that was really good and positive in Victorian times. Yeah. Um, but there's this idea that somehow it was all uptight and people just didn't talk about it. Yeah. It's, it's what I like in your approach to, 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 to all of these uh, 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 subjects. As you've just said then, things like, it's possible that these things that were found were a sex toy, but yeah. we, can't we can't really tell. save away. And on these subjects, it's often tempting to get overexcited about a slight truth or belief. And, yeah. and I've had it in the past, and it's, it's something that you dispelled in, in your book. And I remember reading somewhere that the creation of the vibrator was to treat a woman with hysteria. Yes. It was a doctor's tool, and they would go in and a, a vibrating machine would be put on them to, to release their tensions. And as a little... Again, it was. I probably heard that just as social media was coming about, and that's prime social media story. Yeah. It feels historical and educational. There's it's no salacious and sexy, <laughs> but it turns out it's, there's, there's no, no evidence, of, evidence it. of it. It's really interesting. That's an interesting one because I think it's about 20 years or so ago there was a book that came out about that, and the author of the book had suggested that that was what, what was the case. They said you know, that vibrators were being used to treat hysteria by giving women orgasms. Um, and we know there was a condition called hysteria. It's been around for, you know, that, that terminology has been around for years and years, like hundreds of years. Um, and it's been attributed to all things like, you know, illness and fever and death and all sorts of things. Yeah. Um, but this idea that a vibrator was invented for that reason or that it was used for that reason, there's just literally no evidence for it. And a recent book called by Hallie Lieberman called Buzz, which is about the history of sex toys, she went through all the sources she could and she found zero examples yeah. of it actually having been the case. We know that vibrators were invented um, by a man called Dr. Grenville, and he said, or he patented the idea, and he said he could use it for pain relief, but by massaging different parts of the body electrically, a bit like a TENS machine. Yeah. Um, but he didn't specify for, for genitals or for women or for anything like that. In fact, he sort of goes against that and says, I, I, I wouldn't like to speak about such things. Yes, yes. But we know it got adopted as a sex toy. We know the vibrator then, as it began to be marketed and take off, it found another purpose. Yeah. And there are very sort of veiled allusions to that in the adverts for them. So they'll say things like, we'll give you a glowing tingle. You know, you, you kind of think, <laughs> oh, yeah, you can't say it out loud, but yeah. you're clearly trying to market this for other reasons. And it's fascinating how that continues to happen throughout history because one of the, the things I found really interesting was the kind of, journey of the Hitachi. Oh, the Hitachi uh, magic wand, yeah. Magic wand, because that was very much uh, a massage tool. And, I mean, in general, it had started to become not that and be known as not that. But it was pornography that then took that to the next level. Because it started to be used in pornography, Hitachi first fought against it and then kind of went, hang on, this is... This is more popular than our massage toy. So it became a sex toy with no real change. If you look at the That's actual... Right, yeah. the, 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 
the looks of them. They've now added attachments and all sorts of other <laughs> stuff. But the actual form, that's pretty much the original massager that came out yeah. 10, 20 years ago, or however long ago it was. Yeah, even yeah, longer, yeah. It was ago. like 40 years ago, I think. Because, um, the Hitachi Wagic one's an interesting one because, yeah, it was originally came out with absolutely no intention of it being used for any sexual purpose. Hitachi yeah. were very clear about that. And... In the 70s, um, Betty Dodson, who's this wonderful woman, um, who she ran workshops on sex for women in New York and taught them sort of how to be sexual and how to reach orgasm. And she chose the Hitachi Magic Wand as her kind of tool of choice right. for these. And so she kind of popularized it. But they were also then when when porn videos began, you would get seen used in those as well. Yeah. And then, yeah, in the 90s, Hitachi went... Oh, oh, we don't like this. We don't like that. You know, people are using this for other purposes, and so they renamed it um, the original magic wand. So it took the company name out of right. it um, and kept on selling it because you know that's that's why people buy it. Yeah, <laughs> so. it's a fascinating one because I remember the first time I had heard of them, it was seen as a oh, that's kind of extreme, like almost the power tool of... It really of, is like, like It's dangerous. <laughs> it's like you're, you're going to be at risk if you use that, yeah. but if you're bold enough. And it's, it, it then became, again, it had... I would say it was the next thing after the Rampant Rabbit as yeah. the kind of, this is the brand sex toy, rather than, oh, you'll go to a shop and look at what's available. Yeah. It became the next one that was like, this is the sex it toy. It is the toy. And, and it's funny you said about that, the power tool of sex, because, yeah, you know, it's mains charge, so you plug it in to use it into the wall. Amazing. And I, I remember making a joke recently to friends, and they were talking about sex toys, and I was like, oh, be careful of the Hitachi magic wand, because you'll end up with some kind of clitoral erosion. And they all started went, is that a real thing? Is it? I was like, no, it's not a real thing. I made it up. I'm really sorry for scaring you. <laughs> Terrifying people. <laughs> there is. I'd just like to confirm there is. There's no evidence of clitoral erosion. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, one of the names that popped up, I found f- fascinating for a reason that it popped up in another podcast with another author on a completely d- different subject, and it was J. H. Kellogg's oh, and, yes. and his anti-masturbation campaigning. Yeah. Which was 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 fascinating. Uh, can you, you tell us a little bit? Yeah, so he was that? a big campaigner against masturbation. He felt it had terrible, terrible health effects. And one of the things he recommended to stop people masturbating uh, was this diet, very plain diet. And cornflakes were one of the results of his anti-masturbation diet. To, yeah. to, to, to numb so people out, Basically, yeah. So basically, a very strict and spartan routine would avoid such terrible temptations. I love it because it's fascinating because he came up when I had Rutger Brigman on, who wrote a, a, a Utopia for Realist, which is a fascinating book. And Kellogg was one of the people that was originally pu- pushing, if I remember it rightly, I apologise if I've got this wrong, but that was originally pushing for the, the four-day working week and reducing work hours and, and allowing more leisure hours. And reading this made me just think, what did he think we were going to do with that extra day? <laughs> Come on, surely idle hands and, and right? all that. So it's kind of a you're pushing for that, but then going, but don't, don't, don't use that time in a naughty manner. It's like, come on, there's clearly going to be a connection. Absolutely. Do you know it's funny you say that? <laughs> One of the things I I read about that really I thought was brilliant that I put in was about um, Pornhub last year with the Hawaiian missile scare, or earlier this right. year, yeah, last year with the Hawaiian false yeah. ballistic, false alarm on the ballistic yes. missile. Pornhub released their stats every year. They're absolutely fascinating. And they showed that when that first missile alert went in Hawaii, there, obviously the traffic to Pornhub just plummeted because people were thought, well, this is it, this is the end. Yeah. 
And then when they got the next message saying, no, it's okay, it's not a real end-of-the-world situation for you, their traffic quadrupled to the past the normal what, levels. What because, a celebration. Yeah, everyone's going, well, we need to do something really relieving, life-affirming now, you know? We need to really feel that relief. So, yeah, yeah I thought that was really interesting that people turn to very fundamental things in times of stress. Yeah, that's absolutely... I mean, it's typical. It's, yeah. it's, it, it's quite typical. I've, I've often thought of when people say, if you had an hour left to live... What would, what you, would do? you do? I'm not that, that social a person. So I, yeah. I, I genuinely did think, I was like, I'd probably want to spend it on my own. I might yeah. watch a film. But in reality, I might masturbate. Yeah. There might be something that I'm like, well... Yeah, go out with a bang. To, exactly. <laughs> so it's, it's genuinely that weird thing of everyone like, on your last day, you'd want yeah. to do this. And it's like, no, I'd probably was my last day. I'm like, oh, I don't have to do anything, really. Yeah, I, don't, I've no, I no longer have to go, well, I've got to climb a mountain at some point. I've got to do this. Oh, it ends tomorrow. I can put my feet up. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, so, as I said, I made rampant notes as I'm going along this. And most of them, there's, there's little explanations. And one I just wrote down, teledildonics. Teledildonics. Just because it's just a hell of a... a Isn't it a, a great word? ...of words. So the teledildonics are... <laughs> Smart sex toys. They are toys that are connected to the internet. Yes. And and they've also made had a boom b- because of of, of, of of sex workers in, in, in cam girls yes, and stuff like that, where it can be camels, so people yeah. can tip um, and things like that, and it will directly result in a speeding up of vibration or numerous different controls That's that you right. can make there. So it's been very, very interesting to watch that developed. I talked to some experts in that who have been working on this since the, the 90s, since the first wave of VR. Yeah. They don't have to be controlled by VR. They can just be controlled over the internet, over apps, things like that. Um, VR is one where, the, where the, everyone thought it would take off in the first yeah. place. And it's interesting. So you could have, for example, a vibrator and someone else somewhere else could have a masturbation device and you could pair the motions of both of those Wow! so that you know as the vibrator was being moved around or pulsed or whatever there would be a matching um, yeah. movement in the masturbation device at a different place so it's a way of having people being intimate controlling having sex over long distances yeah. and that lends itself really well to the whole cam industry yeah. where it's become a thing that is, you know, that's one of the main selling areas now for teledildonics. And it's a thing that, again, it's, it's positive in those industries from a business point of view because of the increased interaction, therefore increased yeah. potential to earn. But I also genuinely think if it wasn't such a taboo, that's a beautiful thing. If yeah. two people on, if someone works away a lot or whatever, to be able to have your partner and have that kind of slight greater feeling of closeness that's that's a wonderful thing right i agree if people are comfortable with that obviously yeah and i think that was one of the things so when we ran the sex tech hackathon for the second time which was last november we put an emphasis on more immersive and sensual and intimate intimate experiences and there was a lot coming out in terms of that you know things you could do like a shawl that wraps around you and with sensors in it that could be triggered by other people or by situations and a lot of these were about touch and about about feeling caressed or feeling held or, or, or having sex or stimulated in some way. But just that opportunity that you could feel connected to someone, whether yeah. they were in the room with you or not. Yeah. And it's, 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 it's fascinating because in all of these things, all the greatest leaps in technology advancement generally come if there's a business angle. 
Absolutely. But they can also benefit other angles. And one of the things that you talk about is robotic carers, essentially, and care work, yeah. and the potential for companionship uh, for the elderly is, is, is fascinating. And this isn't a plug, it's just genuinely interesting that uh, one of the sponsors of the podcast is, is, is Onki, who've got their new robot called Vector, and I, it's, I got to go and meet it. And again, I was sceptical, but because of things like it blinks at you and its, its design is by the team from DreamWorks and Pixar and things like that, that I did find myself... The, the way I liked it when I was explaining it to my girlfriend is if we're having a conversation, but you've got... If I've come around your, your house for a chat, but you've got a dog, even though I'm focused, I'm checking on the dog every now and then. Yeah. I'm distracted. And the same with a baby or a child. Even yeah, if it's yeah. asleep, you kind of... If it's in the room, there's something that draws you to it. And Vector had that. I was having... A, they were explaining the technology behind it and all this. And I'm constantly like, is he all right? Aww. Because he was moving around and looking at me, he seemed fascinated by my beard and looking up and down. And their thing on that was that they, they wanted to make kind of like a Google Assistant or whatever yes. these things are, but, but, make, but based more on the nanny robot in the Jetsons. Yes. Where it's also a companion, it's a friend that can do all these f- f- functional, helpful things, but... And also give you that feeling of there's someone here, and yeah, that, that makes me think that for 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 the elderly, for people with disabilities or things that keep you kind of feeling isolated, that could be a really good and positive thing there. Yeah, and they've done trials with these kind of things before. I mean, there's a, there's a robot called Paro that's a little seal pup, yeah. and it's so cute. I mean, Paro is amazingly cute, and it yeah. sort of chirps at you and, and moves its head around and makes little squeaky noises. Yeah. And it, there is that thing of having a pet, it really is, and people feel able to respond socially to it because we are all very social creatures. A lot of the work that's been done over the years in human-computer interaction has looked at how we treat things as being human-like or at least animal-like because that's what we expect to encounter yeah. when we see things that move. Yeah. So we have that compelling thing to approach a situation. Even when we know perfectly well it's a robot, we still approach it in our expectations, in our framework of being social. Yeah, and it's so simple how those things just take slight changes. Like, the reason that this, this particular robot works is it looks a bit like Wally. Yeah. And because we've seen that in a film now, there's, there's something to that or, or short yeah. circuit and things like that. It's got that kind of thing of all right, I now I've seen that in a thing. Whereas if it was just a ball that rolls around, you know, if we've, yeah. I guess we've seen that in Star Wars now as well. So, so that'd be fine too. But again, it's <laughs> it's mad how quickly we can make those leaps if it if it works and if it, yeah. it feels right. The the influence of sci-fi has been huge on the way we understand technology. Uh, there's a professor Emily Cross has looked at this about how people's expectations of how a robot behaves and what it is, mm-hmm. is primed by our previous experience from things like sci-fi and films and books. Yeah. And there's a lovely project going on in Cambridge at the Leverhulme Future for the Centre of Intelligence, and it's called the AI Narrative Project. And it looks how, from early, early myths and legends right through to today, how our perceptions of robots and AI from all the stories we hear makes us think about what it should be like in the future. So we are yeah. just, we are being directed down particular paths because of those stories because of those narratives so you know do we have a do we have a duty to disrupt the bad narratives and create something new but if we do is it going to be accepted because people aren't used to it yeah so because there's lots of things there's lots of narratives that don't work so well like the very sort of sexist tropes around the fembots and things like that so do we have a you know and 
yet we've got all these voice assistants that all began with female voices. Yeah. You know, so can, do we have a, a duty to disrupt that, make it fairer? Because, you know, how will people react? Yeah, completely. And it is, it's, it's fascinating how, how sci-fi can, can, number one, inspire, but number two, make us start addressing potential issues that we might face in the future. And one of them that comes to mind for me was Ex Machina. Oh, it was one of my favourite films. It was an amazing <laughs> film. And it was genuinely a conflict on, right, well, again, it's that whole thing, as we were saying earlier, if it's unaware that it's not human and, yeah. and things like that, then, then what is the difference? And it also brought up, I remember discussing this online with Joe Rogan. Again, he had tweeted about it and someone tweeted saying, look, the fact is, I don't think I'd ever want to sleep with a robot. And my response to him and Joe was, did, did you fucking see that robot? Again, it's, 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 it's like yeah. the advancement in technology, I think yeah. it's not that, that, that great a leap. So what is kind of the, or what have you found is the, the outlook presently about the idea of would people sleep with, engage with, with robot? Her was another great example yeah. of, of a wonderful film where it was falling in love with a Google Assistant, essentially, yeah, essentially not even yes. a physical thing. Yeah, so. just an operating system. Yeah. I think, so there was a survey done by YouGov uh, earlier this year, and they found that 13% of people said, and that was men and women, said that they would consider having sex yeah. with a robot. And I'm genuinely surprised how low that is. Genuinely. Yeah, well, there were some others who said don't know. I think there was a yeah. about, you know, I can't remember how many said don't know. Um, but the thing is with those surveys, you can't say, well, this is the robot, or yeah. you know, this is what it would look like. So yeah, you know, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's a robot. People it's have their own perceptions of what that is. Yeah. But with films like her, I find that really interesting because it's a disembodied AI. Yeah. I mean, even though we know it's in the film, it's Scarlett Johansson's yeah. voice, and she's incredibly sexy, and yeah, of course. But that was it. It's based more on, on love in her than yeah. on sexuality, on, it was. on sexual drive. And he was very just... frustrated because he couldn't fulfill the sexual side of it because yeah. he couldn't touch her. I thought it was a... That film creeped me out quite a lot, actually. Yeah. Um, I find it creepy, I think, because I find it plausible. Yeah, um, And the, the... So what's interesting is, with the sex robots, the company that's released the first sort of prototype commercial sex robot is a company called Abyss Creations, who make Real Doll, yep. um, which is probably the most famous of the sex dolls and love dolls. But they've made a standalone AI app that you can, you can actually get it for $20, um, it works on Android, and you can have your own conversational AI lover uh, mm. already today, and you can tweak her personality and decide what aspects there should be, whether she's flirtatious with you, whether she's friendly, whether she's caring, and you can carry that around with you all the time and have conversations with your virtual AI assistant. Yeah. And so I think there's a, when, when her describes that, it really does seem... You know, that's a way that is very plausible. Completely uh, plausible, yeah. And if you think about it, like, you know, you could be talking to someone online. You could go on to, say, online dating, right? And you don't know who you're talking to. I mean, it's happened to me before. I've, I've gone on a date and the person who turned up was not the person in the picture. Oh, wow. yeah. You know, and you don't know who you're talking to. And in the cases of things like Ash- Ashley Madison, um, they were using bots to talk to people on dating right. sites. So you might not be talking to a real person and you could have a whole relationship built up with them that from your side seems like a really good connection, but it's just the computer. But from their side, it's just yeah, analysing and just, giving yeah, it's just a the right responses. Yeah. It's, a, it's a fascinating one because, again, it becomes... It's, it's all the taboos around sex in general that restrict potential advancements and improvements at times. And mm. it's, it's, I, I remember about three years ago, 
maybe four years ago, I tried to have a discussion on social media about this because at that point I was single and I was in a position where I didn't want a relationship. And I think I'd seen a film or something or something about sex robots. And I was saying at that point, I was saying I would love that, that to be a thing because I would be able to get on with my work and not, not be distracted every now and then by, oh, is there anyone I can meet? Or yeah. anyone who is okay with not a relationship and no strings and things like that. Because again, I'm... I'm not, I'm not a bad person. But in, in, in those situations, my outlook was, as long as we're all grown-ups and we know, right. then that's fine. But people do get hurt in those situations yeah. still. So it was that... I remember just trying to have a discussion online about... There was points where I would get home after a really long day where I was like, I wish I had a sex robot of some sort that could get that urge and satisfaction out the way so yeah. that I can focus on this. And again, I'm dealing with that all within myself. I'm not texting an ex who yeah, I shouldn't yeah. text or things like that. It's, it's de- de- dealing with those things that could negatively impact other humans. And again, you could argue, just don't do it, be a better person. But still, it's those things that it seemed so viable and reasonable. As soon yeah. as I tweeted about it, it was like, it's a weird subject. <laughs> it's like, yeah, no, I know, I'm, I'm too open online sometimes, but yeah. Oh, same. But um, yeah, <laughs> no, I think it is really, I think it really is interesting. I don't, my current concern around the sex robots is that they take this incredibly hypersexualized form. Yeah. And I think that's what worries me is that it, it is very objectifying the form of this, this female body. And it's marketed, you know, it's, they're, they're things that are predominantly designed by men and bought by men. And that's fine in up to a point, but not if there's any chance that that's going to perpetuate the kind of body shaming that we see and the yeah. negative feelings around body image yeah. and, and I think we can move away from that I mean my, my whole sort of concluding chapter of the book is about how we could move away from that and make more interesting forms you know for, for some people they really want that replica human they want to look human but yeah. for other people who enjoy sex toys perhaps they want something that is more like a human in terms of it can hug you or yeah. it can stroke you or something like that. I mean, I've got this idea of a, lo- a lovely sex duvet, right? That you yeah. can just wrap yourself up in. <laughs> Why not have that instead of a sex robot? Yeah. Um, and so I think we, we can see, we can bridge that gap by looking at sex robots and what people want from them and then expanding sex toys and sex technology to encompass those kind of things and make things that are that have all those traits that we want. And we're not then stuck with some kind of, what essentially looks a bit like a shop mannequin with, yeah. a, with a bad wig. Yeah, I mean, I think the key is, and it's something, again, I'm, I'm not just praising you because you're here, but it's something that you address really well in the book, is that the best way to make steps forward in all these things is without sh- sh- shaming kinks yeah. or desires. And it's, it's a similar issue with, Pornography. There's a lot about pornography that can be damaging yeah. to the way people are. But equally, it's okay if a young lady likes to do that. Again, the argument is often that a lot of pornography is built from the male perspective and yeah. it's warping the minds of people to be, this is what is demanded of a, of a woman and things like that, which is negative. But equally, if you are a young lady and you are into that particular sexual yeah. act or that particular Don't kink, then that's yeah. fine. That shouldn't be, oh, no, you've, you, you only like it because of the patriarch or whatever. It's like, they like it, though. We can't, there's not a lot we can do about that now. It's yeah, kind of, they, right, should, they, exactly. they shouldn't be shamed and go, oh, I feel like a bad feminist because yeah. I enjoy X, Y, Z. Yeah. It's like, that's, that's awful. I mean, I tried as, as much as possible in the book to put forward as many different 
arguments around these sort of things as yeah. possible. But I had to go at one point, look, these are my views because obviously it's going to make it subjective, what yeah. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so here is what I think. And, you know, I'm, I'm against exploitation and I think porn can be exploitative, but by and large I don't see anything wrong with watching other people have sex where yeah. this is done in a consensual and fair manner. Yeah. And actually Pornhub's... Um, I think it's overall trending search, biggest trending search last year was porn for women. And there are a lot of women watching porn and it's not designed for them. Um, mm. And not, I don't mean by that, oh, they want some softcore, romantic, touchy-feely, you know, fastening on the lens crap. I mean, they're basically, they're, it is not geared towards women in, yeah. in their way. It's not really, it's, they're an afterthought yeah. in this. So I think that it's the same with the sex robots. People are going, well, women don't want those. And I'm saying, well, how do you know? Yeah. How have you actually looked at it? And if they don't want them, why don't they want them? Is there something that says you have to be a man to, you know, want this human companion in your life? Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, I've, uh, the people I've met and talked to that are interested in having or sex robots or creating them or own sex dolls, they have been overwhelmingly, by and large, incredibly respectful of the dolls and talk about this in a very positive manner and I really have not met people who are in any way misogynistic directly about these things you know, there's, yeah. not, there's not people enacting violence on these dolls yeah. I mean not least because they're expensive right? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, exactly. but the people who own them are really incredibly careful with them yeah. and treat them well because they see them as partners it's, it's, it's a fascinating one because I will, I will admit as I was reading, and we've just talked openly about as sex dolls for a long time. But I will admit that when I've watched programs on people with sex dolls, I have still had a little bit of me thinking it's a bit weird, though, isn't it? Yeah, and we so, 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 so it is weird that there's such a difference perception between sex toys and sex dolls because sex is. toys, again, and it must be something that's going to change because sex toys. 20 years ago, it would be a little bit more. Yeah. You keep it hidden. It's not talked about. It's it's under the bed. It's in the in the underwear drawer or whatever else. Whereas now it is far more of a. Oh, have you have you seen that one? Have you? I, I like yeah. I like this one. It feels like it's far more open. So, do you think we'll get towards that with sex dolls as well? Because at the moment, as open as I am, I still have to admit there's a little bit of me that goes again, and I'll, I'll look with curiosity as well. A few of the the companies you had mentioned for. For male sex toys here and for sex dolls, I went and had a Google and looked at prices out of just out yeah. of curiosity. I was like, well, maybe, but still, it was still it wasn't something I'd be as comfortable talking no. about as and I wonder, vibrators and things like that. It's bizarre. Yeah, and I wonder if they were perfectly human replicas. If we made if sex dolls were beautifully realistic, would yeah. we judge people? Would yeah. there be that element of judging, or is it that they look a bit? They look a bit crap, really, sometimes, don't they? I mean, the thing is, I went to... They look a bit odd and stilted, yeah. The thing is, I went to see one of the workshops where they're made, and I was... I went expecting to be a bit horrified by the pornified versions of women there, right? Because I I, I don't like that. And I went in, and I was absolutely blown away by the skill that went into making those. And I saw them as works of art, as sculptures. They really were like sculptures up close. And from what they are... They're in a category of their own. So, you know, if we think of them as replica humans, no, they don't meet up with yeah. our standards. They don't reach our standards. If we see them as a standalone thing, they can be incredibly, incredibly yeah. intricate and beautiful. I think, I genuinely believe that a big leap is going to be when we step away from trying to replicate 
are humans. And yeah. part of the reason for that is I loved arcade games as a kid. And I loved Street Fighter and stuff like that. And all of a sudden around my kind of, when I was 14 or 15, Mortal Kombat came out and Pit Fighter and all these ones that were photographic replications yeah. of humans, which for a moment was, was really exciting. As technology progressed, every time we tried to accurately replicate a human, it just looked clunky, it yes. looked weird, it looked silly. Whereas the computer games that went, well, let's go either more cartoon or your manga type areas and stuff like that excelled with how they looked and it looked far better and I think it's a similar thing in this 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 technology where the obsession and with a lot of CGI stuff when as soon as they were as soon as Pixar or someone was just producing things that aren't human yeah. it was great as soon as they tried to bring a dog in yeah. like, well that's not a dog right. it, it doesn't work or that's not a human and I think it's a similar thing in, in, in sex robots potentially if they did go look forget about your dream a woman here's this cartoon or whatever yeah. else or robotic or some kind of keep again keeping the tropes of sexuality having the curves that this person might desire or whatever else but not going look it's kind of like a human yeah exactly it's, like, it's not like a human <laughs> like it's a not human's a, not good yeah exactly <laughs> that's the thing we are we are so primed to spot the differences yeah. you know it's that uncanny exactly. valley thing where if it's not right it looks terrible to us because we know it's not real and it's it's problematic it really is it, it just puts us off things and we will never probably be able to certainly well not in the near future replicate things to a degree where it's unmistakable i mean we might get there with the sculpture part but once you add in things like movement or speech yeah it's, it's not happening yeah. once you have movement in it's you know we can spot straight away that something isn't isn't real yeah um cgi is getting better you can start seeing but there's always something where you just tend to catch it and go mm, that's not quite right yeah uh, one of the things i found are really fascinating again you you spoke of you, or you mentioned speech there and interaction in that way but one of the things i found fascinating was hearing about the J- julie doll in, yeah. in 1987 which was essentially the first step towards siri and Alexa and things like that. And it was a kid's toy that was... It's a kid's toy which could respond to voice commands. And that was really early on and, and very hard to do. And it was the first time it had sort of come into the home yeah. as a consumer product. And it only responded to maybe, I think it was six commands. But that idea that, you know, you had this amazing technology and we were trying to make a technological breakthrough and you put it in a doll. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, wow. Yeah. Yeah. And it's amazing. It was also amazing to see you kind of put down how these Alexas and everything else are kind of starting to reprogram us as humans. They are, we will talk yeah. to them in different ways because that's how they're meant to. And I was, I was doing a pod, I was on, on Colin Murray's podcast yesterday and three of the people there were me, a, a, a Colin Murray and Claire Bowen. And Claire Bowen's Australian, Colin's from Northern Ireland and I've got a stutter. And I wanted us to get some kind of Siri and see who Absolutely. had the worst time trying to make it fucking work because <laughs> we've both got oh, we've got strong accents or I can't speak properly sometimes. Yeah. Like, I that doesn't lend itself it too well to, to voice-activated interactions. It doesn't because I tried dictating parts of my book when I was writing it because yeah. I was getting fed up typing. And, you know, I'm from Northern Ireland, my, but I've lived in England for 18 years, so my accent's very moderated when I'm talking to anyone yeah. in England. When I go home, when I go home, it lapses into this, you know. Yeah. Um, so when I started talking to my computer, I talked in a much broader Northern Ireland voice and it couldn't handle it. Yeah. It just couldn't handle the accent. So I had to go back to putting on a very careful, yeah. moderated voice to speak to it. And again, it's kind of, it seems weird, but parts of it, as I was reading it, I was like, 
quite like this because what we were reading or, 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 or what you were saying was it's training us at points to open every conversation with a greeting. It is, Often yeah. to say thank you at the end. Yeah, so you probably don't of, need to. On, we're yeah. reprogramming politeness. That's not a bad thing. But yeah. it's saying, hello, Alexa. Um, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. People often, as, as you said, it's recorded that a lot of people say thank you at the end, things yeah. like when they don't have to. They don't have to. We don't even have to converse with these things. We could just say, yeah. Alexa, weather London. But instead yeah. we go, Alexa, tell us the weather in London today. You know, yeah. I, I find that really, really interesting. And it's you know, fascinating, you get all these... isn't it? Because it's not... It, 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 it has to be because psychologically it feels like a person. Yeah. Because the fact yeah. is that we could go, Alexa, weather London... That's far quicker. Yeah. That, that's completely in our, our nature, particularly the advancements of technology that have, have one-click ordering on Amazon and stuff like that that make us want to make, take Super every fast. shortcut yeah. we can. But it must be that feeling of a human connection that makes us... Excuse me. Um, yes. <laughs> I don't mean to bother you, Alexa. Um, can <laughs> Sorry, I... if I could just have your attention yeah, for a moment. Exactly. It's <laughs> yeah. bizarre. Yeah. <laughs> but it's a, it's a fascinating one. So as we're at the hour mark now, I'll, I'll start to... Uh, to wrap things up, what was it? Uh, was there anything that stands out that you found when writing this book that really kind of t- took your breath away or surprised you? Again, having being someone who is already knowledgeable of electronics, already um, not damning of sexuality and things like that, what was the thing that made you kind of go, "Oh well"? I'm- I think wasn't it, expecting that. <laughs> I wasn't expecting. This is a terrible spoiler. Uh, maybe no one will get the book after this. I wasn't expecting that it would be so niche. Mm. So we've been fed this idea for quite a while, for a number of years, that sex robots are going to be here in a big way, and it's probably going to have a big impact. Yeah. And actually, I didn't find that. I find that it's pretty niche, and it's probably going to be fairly limited. For certainly in the near future, whether yeah. or not that changes over the years. And I think a lot of that is to do with the form and the taboo and all that sort of stuff. So I think finding out that those scare stories are remotely valid yeah. was interesting. But that said, those issues around it, they're definitely important because yeah. they, they are there for all of technology, how yeah. we relate to things. And I think it's a fascinating sort of microcosm of how we relate to other forms of technology. And how we're changing over time in regarding things like sex and intimacy, because there's definitely scope for technology in sex and intimacy. And, uh, and that's what I loved about it as a book. Again, to cancel any option of people not reading the book, <laughs> was, was exactly that, that it really highlighted how, again, you're drawn in by the excitement of, of sex and robotics and all these things, but so much of it, translates out into the wider world, into how we are interacting in general, online, um, with all these different variations of technology. Here's the area it's focusing on, but also here's how it applies to everything else. And that is the part that's completely undeniable, that is in our everyday lives. It's Everyone uses it in, in some way. Again, it's the fact that it's arguable that we are all all cyborgs because we yeah. are every day interacting we with are. technology and often feeling that we can't exist without it like when it comes to phones or yeah. even cars computers everything else it's such a regular part of our society that yeah it is, it is and it's reality. interesting the, the amount of personal investment we have in technology and how intimate it becomes to us even phones i mean 
handing over your phone to someone else, there's a bit of you goes, <gasps> you don't want to do it. I thought, honestly, for 10 minutes, I, I, the other day, I'd recorded the podcast and I had a screen in, in two hours and my phone was almost dead. And I popped back to my hotel and I plugged it in and I thought, oh, I've got to go and put some money in the bank. And I literally sat there for a bit going, I should probably leave my phone charging. I'm only going to the bank and coming back. But I was like, oh, I feel a little bit, or maybe maybe it'll be all right, or maybe I can charge it in the film. But I was like, I left it in the end. But there was genuinely that moment of, I'm going to be away from it. There is. It's like a child. A lot of people worry that that's a bad thing. I'm a a tech optimist, and I don't think that's a bad thing. Because our lives have become increasingly centred around being online. So if we want to access services, we need to go online. If we want to talk to friends, we go online. And for people to judge and say, oh, there are too many people using their phones every day, that's a part of life now. We don't yep. get away from that. But I'm, I'm optimistic that it can make humans better. And I think okay. technology can make human life better. It's moderation on everything, it right? Is. As long as you're not uh, damagingly addicted to it, that's then right, it, yeah. it, can, it can advance things. I've, I've said numerous times, I do feel I'm slightly addicted to my phone or whatever, but also... I know I wouldn't have had a career if it wasn't for social media. Yeah. That's how I blew everything. Music-wise, it was all YouTube, and then podcast-wise, it was all Twitter and yeah. things like that. It's, and podcasts in themselves. The way people are listening to this now wouldn't have happened otherwise. So Yeah, we're blending with it. We're, yeah. we're becoming we, part of it. We truly are. Well, thank you very much for, for making the time. And where can people follow you online and find out everything that's going along. Okay, so I'm on Twitter at Dr. Kate Devlin. Yep. And um, yeah, if you if you want to find out more about my book, it's called Turned On, Science, Sex and Robots. And um, yeah, it's worth buying purely for the index, which is one of the best indexes I've ever yeah. seen. Um, so we'll <laughs> tell you all about tentacle porn and cock rings and literal erosion. <laughs> even as someone who f- felt quite knowledgeable, there was so much that I was like, I need to stop reading a second and Google this and, and look up what, what this is because it's kind of, yeah, it's mind-blowing. Well, thank you very much. It's been, it's been wonderful. Cheers. Thank you. You've been listening to Squibbish Pits. There we go. Did I not tell you that that was a fantastic episode? Yeah, I came out of that buzzing. You wondered what I was going to say then. Um, Yeah, really excited. I was really pleased with how well that went. Um, Check out Kate's book, Turned On, Science, Sex and Robots. It's out this week. So get your orders in or pop to your bookshops and, uh, and get it. It's a hell of a read. As said, it's weirdly... It's got just the right amount of salaciousness in there. But in general, it's, you know, a scientific and historic kind of study of these things. And it's fascinating. Um, I'll be back on Friday. In fact, I'll tell you now that the week after, a lot of you have been waiting a long time for this. But next week's guest is the Epic Beardmen. So me, Sage Francis and B. Dolan sat down in a hotel room, kind of too late at night potentially said some stuff we shouldn't have said but i'm putting it all out and it's going to be there for you next week i know a lot of you have been been waiting on that one so i'm i'm delighted to finally sling it your way but before that on friday i'm joined by gizzy erskine so that's fantastic because she's an amazing chef amazing she's got a hell of a story she told a lot of her story that's not been told before so i think you're going to enjoy that one so check that out on friday but for now i will see you all later 
Tata.